I mean, I had more experience probably than many of the guys that I was working with. I knew they were making more money than I was, but I just think at that point, my focus was, here's my big picture and here's where I'm headed. So my goal was, I'm going to learn everything I can because eventually that's what I'm going to do. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here. Happy 2021. This is a brand new year and it's time for a brand new you. You are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand new year to your next career breakthrough. Now, we are kicking off the year with a six week series because people are always asking me, hey, Jason, hey, can you break down the lead with your brand system? And that's exactly what we're going to do. So each week of this new year, we are going to give you a little bit of a nugget and one of our steps to help you lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. So make sure that you have hit the subscribe button because we are going to help you get to that next level of your career this year. So people always say to me, hey, Jason, how did you get so into branding? Well, first off, think of our world, Apple, Starbucks, Nike. We all love brands. And I have been obsessed with brands since I was a little kid, whether it was Disney theme parks or Jeep Wranglers or my current obsession, which is Mr. Turk by Trina Turk Resort Wear. The bottom line is we live in a world full of of brands. And for years, people have been talking about personal branding, which is great. But I will tell you, one of my favorite parts about working in Hollywood for over 25 years was being able to support executives who were doing business transformations. And so often, a business transformation involves a rebrand. And I remember sitting in rooms working with executives who were rebranding big television networks like Bravo and Oxygen and USA Network or the Golf Channel. And it suddenly dawned on me, why are the people talking about personal brands always the HR people? If you were going to go and talk about a brand, wouldn't you go to the chief marketing officer and those amazing marketers that are creating consumer brands? And it finally hit me. The problem with talking about personal brand is that when we talk about HR mumbo jumbo, like competencies and job descriptions, we're really missing out on the real core because you have got to think of yourself as a product. In a world where there are thousands of people who do your exact same job, 
you must find a way to be more than just a commodity worker. In your career, you have to be a super premium brand that ultimately gets people to do more, contribute more, and ultimately pay you more. That's right. You have to start thinking about your salary and your increases and your bonuses as a reflection of what people feel about your brand. So let me ask you, in your career, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Think about that. In your career, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Because Coffee is one of the world's oldest commodities, and guess what? We have been buying it for centuries, and it didn't matter where it came from until Starbucks came in and got us to pay over $5 for a cup of coffee that you don't even get a refill on. That's what I mean by are you a commodity or are you a super premium brand? Now, people tell me all of the time, oh, I don't have a brand. That's why I need to work on one. Or that's why I'm listening to your podcast because I don't have a brand. But here's the reality. We all have a brand. Every single one of us has a brand. The real question is whether or not you're consciously, competently managing your brand and making smart choices so that you strategically show up in a way that will help you break through the noise, stand out from the crowd, and drive you to your next career breakthrough. Now, you're probably asking me, well, Jason, if I have a brand... You know, I don't even understand what a brand is. So let's break it down as sort of our branding 101. You know, it's really easy when people talk about branding to go off on things like what something looks like and what's the the logo marking and all of those things. But that's actually not what a brand is. A brand is not the logo. It's not a tagline. It's not the advertisement. And it's not the product. It is none of those things. What a brand really is, is the sum of all of the experiences, all of the information, and all of the expectations that define you towards your target audience. Think about that. Your brand is the sum of all of the experiences people have had with you. It's all of the information that people know about you, whether they really know you or not. And all of the expectations that people have of you as it applies to your target audience. So when we think back to something like a logo, a tagline, an advertisement, or a product, all of those things should be informed by your brand because ultimately your brand is that DNA that keeps it all together. So let's take an amazing brand like Nike. If I told you that Nike did not sell athletic shoes and didn't really sell athletic apparel, you'd probably look at me and say, Jason, you're crazy. But let me challenge you right now. What does Nike really sell? Exactly. Because Nike's not a commodity. In fact, what they are selling is winning and doing your personal best and overcoming obstacles and being athletic, right? They are selling all of those things. And sometimes it comes across in a pair of 
athletic shoes. And sometimes it comes across in a, a pair of running shorts. But what you're buying is really that brand because that's Nike's D. NA winning, overcoming obstacles, and being their personal best. So when we look at that swoosh on the side of a Nike shoe, that feels like all of those things. When we see a tagline that says, just do it, that does feel like winning and overcoming obstacles and being your personal best. When we see an advertisement with Colin Kaepernick that everyone says is controversial, it's really completely on brand for Nike because Colin represents all of those brand values. And then when we look at the design of their products, they're all designed to make us feel like winning, like being athletic and all of those brand values. So this is your challenge over the next six weeks. What is your brand? But don't worry, we are going to help get you there because starting next week, we're going to go through one of my five steps to help you lead with your brand. And to help you out, go ahead and visit leadwithyourbrand.com where you can download my pamphlet on the five steps to lead with your brand. Now, each week, we are going to put a new worksheet available that you can download that will go through each of those steps. So starting next week, we are going to help you define your audience. We talked all about a brand being focused on a target audience. In the following week, we're going to help you know what you stand for today to make sure that you're creating an authentic brand. That's the number one thing that my guests on the podcast talk about is being authentic. But being authentic only works once you refine who you want to be and turn up the volume, which we'll cover in the next week. Then we'll look at keeping up your image and really packaging yourself in a way that is 100% on brand. And finally, we'll close out with the fifth step, which is all about promoting yourself. Because guess what? You can have a great brand and you can have amazing performance, but if nobody knows about it, it doesn't matter. So I'm giving you this challenge to lead with your brand new year to your next career breakthrough. Well, I am super excited about our very first guest of 2021. She is a dear friend, but you know her as the iconic culinarian, author, and entrepreneur of amazing modern Mexican restaurant concepts, including Border Grill. It is Chef Susan Feniger. Now, she's a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America in New York. She's a James Beard Award winner and co-host of the Food Network's Too Hot Tamales and Tamales World Tour with nearly 400 episodes. Now, Susan has co-authored six cookbooks and competed on Bravo's Top Chef Masters back in 2010. Now, in 2018, Susan and her business partner were named the recipients of the fourth annual Julia Child Award from the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts, marking the first women to be honored with the distinction of these accolades. I'll be back in just a few moments with Chef Susan Feniger. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. 
And we're back, and I am here with an amazing guest. She's an iconic culinarian, an author, and entrepreneur, Chef Susan Feniger. Susan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Fabulous to be here. I am so excited to have you here because I have been a huge fan of yours and all of your fabulous restaurants like Border Grill and now Socolo. And I'm just so excited to dive in and talk to you. Well, thank you. It's fantastic to be here. And my favorite thing is to feed people. So (laughs) there you go. So so speaking of that being your favorite thing, when you first meet people, how do you explain who you are and what you do? You know, it's so funny that you say that, Jason, because I think, you know, for my whole career, which is long, like 40 plus years, I hate to date myself, but a long time in the business. I think when people talk to me, I first and foremost, I think of myself as a cook. And, you know, and then I'll say that and someone will say like, well, really, I don't think you're just a cook, are you? But really, I think, you know, of course, I think of myself as a chef. And over the years, you know, there's been this term of being a celebrity chef. And I think way back, you know, in the middle 80s, when, you know, they started to make chefs become celebrities instead of just, you know, working in the kitchen, you know, that became a term and certainly I have had the great fortune of being able to be on TV and be, you know, on the radio. And the best thing about that is I feel like it's given me a voice to be able to be somewhat of an activist and be able to use that, you know, to things that are for things that are very important to me. So I see myself as a chef for sure. And, you know, and I think as a teacher and also as someone who is a student, you know, and that's one of the other great things about being in this industry for me is I have learned and learned, you know, from day one and continue to learn. And, you know, and I think I am um, probably in our restaurants considered a mom, you know, and I feel like I'm there sort of as a therapist. So I don't know. I mean, but really (laughs) when people meet me, I probably you know, would say, yeah, I'm a chef, I'm a restaurateur, I, you know, feel like I, you know, try to be there as a support and teacher to many of the people who work for us. Definitely, over the years, I think I have, you know, identified as a chef, even, you know, after work or going to a party, I'll end up, you know, going straight from work and wearing my chef's clothes. And it's become probably an identity you know, maybe for me, it's an ease because who wants to go clothes shopping? But and maybe that's even why I ended up becoming a chef is because I love wearing a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susan, it sounds like your your dress or I love how you called it your uniform is really part of your professional brand that shows up everywhere you go. It really is. I know, you know, from my time in India, when I took a chef's jacket over there and had them make me uniforms out of this amazing Indian kadi, to now where I wear jeans that my niece has a company called Rialto Jean Project that I wear her jeans with matching colors to my colored chef jackets. And, you know, and so everywhere I go, I feel like it sort of is my brand is that, you know, I have these bracelets, I have these colored chef jackets, they match my pants. And, 
you know, and I think whether I go to an event or a party, it seems like it's a fallback position that I wear that no matter what, but it's a great branding opportunity. It really is. And I've used it. Absolutely. And I know like when I have been at your restaurants, in fact, when when I was first dining at Sokolo and you came out in your chef uniform, right? It it was almost like your appearance and your dress, even though it was appropriate for a chef, was an extension of the menu and the flair and all of the flavors of the food and the environment. How would you describe your role as a business person? Because you're not just a chef, you own, right, food businesses, you know, with restaurants in Las Vegas and Los Angeles. How do you describe that? You know, I have a business partner who's also a chef. We were basically both cooks when we decided we wanted to go in business together. We had no money, you know, at all. And it was just like, what city should we open in? So that was sort of, you know, interesting as though... You know, as though we felt like we just owned the world, you know, which was, you know, a fantastic thing 40 years ago to do. Now, we've been business partners now 40 years, which is amazing. That's longer than most marriages. Right. You know, what happened is a lot of it came just from seat of our pants. Just really. How do you you know, if you're doing this much in sales? How much can you spend and still make a little bit of money? And I think that's been our philosophy all along, which is what are the important things to do, which is, I believe from day one has been is to respect the people that work for you, to work really hard, to make sure you're a respectful, caring leader. And, but you need to be able to figure out how to make money. And in this business, I think one of the things I learned when I was in culinary school was that it was something like 90% of the restaurants that open fail in year one. And, you know, after that, it just continues where people fail. And you do hear that as many people think, wouldn't it be great? I love to cook. Wouldn't it be great to open a restaurant? And exactly what you said, Jason, which is that it's so much more than just being a good cook. I mean, that's almost the easy, fun part of it. What's the challenging part is, you know, how do you understand the business? How do you take a a business that has very low margins and be able to watch labor costs, food costs? How do you motivate people? I think that's what being an entrepreneur is. And in this industry, you also need to add to that. You need to know how to cook. (laughs) And you need to love food. Exactly. And I think being, you know, authentic and genuine for me is a really important part of what we do and why we've been able to be around for 40 years. Not that we haven't had our ups and downs. We have for sure. And so, Susan, take me back a little bit to the beginning, right? When you think back through your 40-year career as a a chef and restaurateur, what have been some of the big career breakthrough moments for you where you really felt like you got to the, the next level? I started in college and had different odd jobs, and I was studying economics and business, and I got a job in the cafeteria there breakfast and lunch and dinner. And breakfast, I was the donut maker. So I learned how to make donuts. At lunch, I worked in the dish room. And I remember being very 
blown away by the two most important people in that kitchen. This woman who was, I thought she was like 80, but she was probably 45. And she was very, very skinny and had tattoos on her. And she was smoking a cigarette in the kitchen and doing pots and pans. But she was always, you know, she was funny and grumpy at the same time. And I just connected with her. And the man who ran the kitchen was a cook, probably the, a chef in the army. And I worked for a couple of years doing this. And he at some point said to me, I don't know why you're studying economics, why you're studying business. You should be going to cooking school. So I convinced my economics professor to let me do my last year of college at the Culinary Institute of America if I could get in as an independent study. And and he let me do that. He was my mentor and he was an amazing professor. And we did an independent study. I got into the Culinary Institute because the cook that I worked for wrote me this great letter. I got in and I did... As my after my two years at the Culinary Institute in Hyde Park, New York, my final project for my professor in econ was to do, you know, was to design a restaurant. It was a vegetarian restaurant and I had to do the projections and the Excel sheet and everything. And and that was a huge moment for me, for sure. I think another really important change in my career, Jason, was so all my training was in French kitchens. You know, from Kansas, from New York, then I went to Kansas City, and then I went to Chicago, all work going, moving and working in great restaurants. Then ended up coming to LA, and I got a job working for Wolfgang Puck when he was the chef at Ma Maison before he opened Spago. And that was, you know, also a very interesting experience. And I ended up then in the south of France for a year. When I came back, I opened up tiny little city cafe that had nine tables. I just came from a three-star restaurant. And one year after that, Mary Sue, my business partner and chef, who was a friend of mine that I had met in Chicago, moved out. And her and I were the chefs of this little restaurant. And I took my first trip and went to India and worked in a kitchen in India. And that shifted, I believe, my whole career. It made me aware. It sort of took me out of the French cooking mode and made me aware of all these amazing spices and all the interesting flavor profiles of the Southeast Asian kitchen. And that I really feel made a whole shift in the direction the rest of my career went. So I think that was probably the biggest change and the most influence that I think any any part of my career had early on. So Susan, tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up and working so long in the restaurant industry. Certainly as a woman, there were a woman in, Fre- in French kitchens back in the 70s, late 70s, was unusual. There weren't very many women. When I was at culinary school, there I think there were two women in the class. So very different than now. Now it's like 50-50. But, you know, it may have been, uh, you know, I was a tomboy growing up. And so the I think I didn't really struggle in kitchens. Now, certainly I felt like I had a big picture in mind, which was that I knew at some point I was going to open up a restaurant. I mean, I had more experience 
probably than many of the guys that I was working with. I knew they were making more money than I was, but I just think that at that point, my focus was, here's my big picture and here's where I'm headed. So my goal was, I'm going to learn everything I can because eventually that's what I'm going to do. Probably the hardest time I had was when I was working in a restaurant in Chicago. I was a cook and it was all men, but it is where Mary Sue, my business partner, and I met. She was working there. She'd been hired like two months before. And then she was the first woman in that kitchen. And then I think they thought, oh my God, she, the owner, she worked so hard. I'm going to hire another woman. So <laughs> I got hired. You know, eventually the two of us, when the chef went on vacation, the two of us ended up running that kitchen for two weeks. So that was really interesting. But initially, you know, I was like the bottom of the rung down there. I was definitely the lowest on there. But the chef gave me so much shit really just gave me the hardest time. And I mean, really, he was just brutal. Like he would tell me exactly what to do. I would write down all my notes exactly. And the next day I do the exact same thing, like making the lobster stock. And he would come and just yell at me and then tell me how I had done it wrong. And he was just on me, on me, on me. So like on our, you know, lunch break, I'd go in the bathroom and Mary Sue would come in. She's like, you just have to hang on, just hang on, hang on. And I did. I stayed there for about a year and a half. And that was probably one of the better restaurants I worked at. I I just learned that was just a great French restaurant. And it taught us both, Mary Sue and I, so much about watching food costs, which was unusual in French restaurants. I mean, it was just, it was very cost conscious, but an amazing restaurant. Very Probably one of the most well-known restaurants in Chicago. But that chef was totally a jerk to me. Totally a jerk. And many years later, we found out it, it was, he was married with three kids, but he was completely in the closet and I had just come out and I had just left my husband and was living with a woman. And I think it was this major jealousy thing. And he just couldn't stand that I was out and free and being who I wanted to be and open about it. And he wasn't able to. Give me three words that describe you as both a a, a chef and a business person. It's probably, I probably have said it, but I think passionate, respectful, crazy, hardworking. Mm. Passionate, respectful, and crazy, hardworking. Talk about the respectful piece, because that's not something that feels on brand for most chefs when we get a glimpse into a a kitchen. I feel that it's so important to be respectful for whether it's the dishwasher or the VP of operations, whether it's the chef or a line cook, front of the house server, that I think it's so important to treat people the way you would want to be treated And to, and I think that people want to do a great, I think in general, people want to do a great job. And I think they take their lead from their boss. So to me, you know, everybody is a critical part of the team. When we moved them downtown, our offices ended up on the 29th floor of the Union Bank building. And I was like, there's no way no way I'm going up to the 29th floor. That's crazy. I need to be closer to the restaurant. So we emptied a little 
storage room closet that was like probably, I don't know, nine feet by four feet, emptied it out, got an Ikea desk, put it in there, put some bookshelves, painted it white, and it's right behind the deep fryer and where the tortillas make tortillas. And my door is always open. So people who, everybody walks by my door in the kitchen. And so that, you know, I really, it sort of says that, you know, it's open door. And Susan, I mean, it seems like part of your leadership brand is about taking risks on people, right? Whether it was appearance or other things. Tell me about some of those folks that you've really taken risks on that maybe other people cautioned you against, but it really turned out to be a win for everyone. Well, let's see. You know, we, this is probably back maybe 20 years ago, probably or 18 years ago or something like that at uh, our restaurant downtown. See you, dad. I was, uh, I was up in the little sort of narrow attic. It wasn't really, it was an attic that was like three feet tall. So even I had to lay down in it and it was gross. It was disgusting, but I was up there scrubbing away and our staff came back from their meal break. And one of our sous chefs said to me, you know, there's this young girl out, out on the sidewalk who said she's really, doesn't speak any English. She's looking for a job. And um, I don't think she's got any experience, but, she really seems like she needs help. Do you want to talk to her? So, of course, because I'm just total softy. So I came down to talk to her, and her name was Beatrice. I came down to talk to her. She had on like a silk shirt and long fingernails, all painted. And she said she had moved from Mexico, and she needed to get out. She was living with her uncle, but she needed to get out of her home because she was being abused. And... I don't know if it was emotionally or physically, but I believe physically, but I don't know, but abused. And she begged to just bring her in doing anything. I said, so I said, you know, fine, come up here with me into this attic. We gave her like a a chef jacket or dishwasher shirt to put on. She came up in the attic. She worked with me for the next seven hours straight, you know, even with her nails and worked nonstop. I told her, well, come back the next, come back tomorrow because we're going to do it again to finish up. She came back, was there early, like a half hour early, worked with me again all day. And I decided, let's just, let's give her a try. Let's put her, you know, in a position that let's have her, you know, do tortillas because she said she knew how to do tortillas. And so we brought her back in. She had worked for us up until COVID. For the last 18 years, she, you know, obviously she became sort of the leader in the kitchen. She's total chatterbox. She ended up eventually having a boyfriend that she had a child with who's now 14 years old. She is an amazing hard worker. She ended up doing pastries and then doing prep and then overseeing all the pastries and the prep people. She basically was like the, you know, I, I don't, she, she became like the person in charge in the kitchen without really being the person in charge, or you would think she would be. She, she was amazing. She was really amazing and smart as could be. And, you know, you never would have thought it, but, you know, she was a little cocky and a little bit of a troublemaker, but it was, I think, you know, because she was full of energy and she was very strong. And I think, 
we help to help her feel confident enough to be strong and to be, you know, that person. Now, Susan, I know that you are so focused on the community. And in fact, we serve together on the board of directors of the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Tell me about the work that you've done there in terms of culinary arts. We just opened a new campus, the Anita Mae Rosenstein campus, about a year ago now. And I felt it would be so exciting and really a valuable tool for youth and seniors to create a culinary program so that they had an opportunity to work together so they could learn a skill. But also more important is to create a, a family, which is what the restaurant business and the kitchen does. So we, as you know, we got on board and everybody committed to creating a professional kitchen. And what we have there is a culinary program where we take about 12 students at a time and they go through a 12-week training program and then we place them in restaurants around the city. And it's an unbelievable program and it has become the heart and soul as kitchens do in people's homes and as they do in restaurants, the kitchen becomes the home and the lifeblood for so much. And that's why I love what the culinary program that we have at the LGBT center in Los Angeles. Amazing. Absolutely. So just some quick final questions for you, because we're talking all about brand. What is your favorite brand as a consumer? What can't you live without? Converse tennis shoes. Ah, and why? I don't, you know, I have where, where all of my chef friends were all wearing, you know, clogs or Birkenstocks or something. I never did. I always wore Converse tennis shoes. I have, all my life. And now I know why, because Kamala does. (laughs) (laughs) Susan, tell me if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Well, now I'd probably be a hybrid mini convertible. Ooh. And why? Small. I like that sort of small, powerful little car. Although I like Volkswagen bugs too, but uh, the mini hybrid, because I feel that's important to take care of our environment and convertible because I want to always feel like I'm going to be somewhat wild and free. And Awesome. And finally, what's the biggest business and career lesson that you've learned over your time in the restaurant industry that you'd like to pass on to our listeners, regardless of what business they work in? I mean, I have to say that I feel very fortunate, really lucky to have somehow, I don't know how, but somehow picked a career that I'm so passionate about that I feel like, you know, I've been in it 40 plus years and I still feel like I'm learning all the time. I feel like, you know, even opening a restaurant now, I the thrill of it, the excitement, the, you know, it's creative. And, and so, you know, I still really love what I do. So I think, you know, if you, if one is able to figure out what they, what they're passionate about more than, will I make a lot of money more than, you know, and not that that's not important. I mean, obviously it is, but I think passion about what you're doing is what has kept me, I feel like, you know, has kept me young and excited and wanting to stay working. So, I mean, I think passion 
about what you're doing is really important. Well, Chef Susan Feniger, it's been a pleasure sharing your passion today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. Always wonderful to talk to you. And we'll be back in a few minutes with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I don't know about you, but I just loved talking to Chef Susan Feniger. You know, the reason why I wanted to kick off the year with Susan was because as a chef, she lives her brand and leads with her brand every single day. You see, a brand can't just be a marketing slogan, people. It has to be the DNA that drives your actions and behaviors. So when Susan walks through her restaurants and interacts with her guests, she is authentically on brand. And when she steps back into the kitchen, you heard about how she runs her kitchen. It's completely on brand for her. And in fact, even how she dresses in and out of the restaurant is quintessentially on brand for Susan. And that's what we're going to look to do over the next five weeks. We are giving you the lead with your brand new year challenge starting next week. We are going to help you define your career audience. Remember, the definition of a brand is that it is all focused on your target audience. So next week, we are going to help you deep dive and identify who your super fans are. Now, remember, go to leadwithyourbrand.com so you can download our five steps to lead with your brand. And we'll see you next week as we lead with your brand new year. Now, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure that you take a moment to leave a comment and rate us. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me at Jason Patria on all platforms. And remember to catch me on LinkedIn for the latest on how to lead with your brand. And remember, in your career, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Don't be a commodity worker. Make sure that you are leading with your brand new year as a super premium brand. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.